chapter ten part one of the life of washington volume three by john marshall this librivox recording is in the public domain chapter ten part one virginia invaded by arnold he destroys the stores at westham and at richmond retires to portsmouth mutiny in the pennsylvania line sir h clinton attempts to negotiate with the mutineers they compromise with the civil government mutiny in the jersey line mission of colonel lawrence to france propositions to spain recommendations relative to a duty on imported and prized goods reform in the executive departments confederation adopted military transactions lafayette detached to virginia cornwallis arrives presses lafayette expedition to charlottesville to the point of fork lafayette forms a junction with wayne cornwallis retires to the lower country general washington's letters are intercepted action near jamestown seventeen eighty one the evacuation of portsmouth by leslie afforded virginia but a short interval of repose so early as the ninth of december seventeen eighty a letter from general washington announced to the governor that a large embarkation supposed to be destined for the south was about taking place at new york on the thirtieth a fleet of transports under convoy having on board between one and two thousand men commanded by general arnold anchored in hampton road virginia invaded by arnold the troops were embarked the next day on board vessels adapted to the navigation and proceeded up james river under convoy of two small ships of war on the fourth of january they reached westover which is distant about twenty-five miles from richmond the capital of virginia january two on receiving intelligence that a fleet had entered the capes general nelson was employed in raising the militia of the lower country and on the second of january orders were issued to call out those above the metropolis and in its neighbourhood on reaching westover arnold landed with the greater part of his army and commenced his march towards richmond the few continental troops at petersburg were ordered to the capital and between one and two hundred militia who had been collected from the town and its immediate vicinity were directed to harass the advancing enemy this party was too feeble for its object and the day after landing at westover arnold entered richmond where he halted with about five hundred men the residue amounting to about four hundred including thirty horse proceeded under lieutenant-colonel simcoe to westham where they burnt a valuable foundry boring mill powder magazine and other smaller buildings with military stores to a considerable amount and many valuable papers belonging to the government which had been carried thither as to a place of safety he destroys valuable stores at richmond this service being effected lieutenant-colonel simcoe rejoined arnold at richmond where the public stores and a large quantity of rum and salt the property of private individuals were entirely destroyed january leaving richmond the next day the army returned to westover on the seventh and re-embarking on the morning of the tenth proceeded down the river it was followed by the baron steuben who commanded in virginia and near hoods colonel clark drew a party of them into an ambuscade and gave them one fire with some effect but on its being partially returned the americans broke and fled in the utmost confusion arnold proceeded slowly down the river and on the twentieth reached portsmouth where he manifested the intention of establishing a permanent post the loss of the british in this expedition was stated in the gazette of new york 
had seven killed including one subaltern and twenty-three wounded among whom was one captain this small loss was sustained almost entirely in the ambuscade near hoods in the north the year commenced with an event which for a time threatened the american cause with total ruin the accumulated sufferings and privations of the army constitute a large and interesting part of the history of that war which gave independence to the united states winter without much lessening their toils added to those sufferings the soldiers were perpetually on the point of starving were often entirely without food were exposed without proper clothing to the rigors of the season and had now served almost twelve months without pay this state of things had been of such long continuance that scarcely the hope of a change could be indulged it produced unavoidably some relaxation of discipline and the murmurs occasionally escaping the officers sometimes heard by the soldiers were not without their influence in addition to the general causes of dissatisfaction the pennsylvania line complained of a grievance almost peculiar to itself when congress directed enlistments to be made for three years or during the war the recruiting officers of pennsylvania in some instances instead of engaging their men definitively for the one period of the other engaged them generally for three years or the war this ambiguity in the terms of enlistment produced its natural effect the soldier claimed his discharge at the expiration of three years and the officer insisted on retaining him in service during the war the soldier submitted with the more reluctance to the supposed imposition as he constantly witnessed the immense bounties given to those who were not bound by a former enlistment mutiny in the pennsylvania line the discontents which these various causes had been long fomenting broke out on the night of the first of january in an open and almost universal revolt of the line on a signal given the great body of the non-commissioned officers and privates paraded under arms avowing the determination to march to the seat of congress and either obtain redress of their complicated grievances or serve no longer in the attempt to suppress the mutiny six or seven of the mutineers were wounded on the one side and on the other captain billing was killed and several other officers were dangerously wounded the authority of general wayne availed nothing on cocking his pistol and threatening some of the most turbulent the bayonet was presented to his bosom and he perceived that strong measures would produce his own destruction and perhaps the massacre of every officer in camp a few regiments who did not at first join the mutineers were paraded by their officers but had they even been willing to proceed to extremities they were not strong enough to restore order infected quickly with the general contagion or intimidated by the threats of the mutineers they joined their comrades and the whole body consisting of about thirteen hundred men with six field pieces marched under the command of their sergeants towards princeton the next day general wayne accompanied by colonels butler and stuart officers possessing in a high degree the affections of the soldiery followed them in the hope of bringing them back to their duty or at least of dividing them they were overtaken near Brook and invited by a written message from general wayne to appoint one man from each regiment to state the grievances of which they complained in consequence of this invitation a sergeant from each regiment met the officers at their quarters and some verbal communications were made from the complexion of which sanguine hopes were entertained that the affair might be terminated without farther hazard or much injury to the service on the following day the line of march was resumed and the soldiers proceeded to princeton the propositions of the general and field officers were reported to them and a committee of sergeants to whom they were referred stated their claims these were first a discharge for all those who had served three years under their original engagements whatever those engagements might have been and who had not taken the increased bounty and re-enlisted for the war second an immediate payment of all their arrears of pay and clothing as well to those 
who should be discharged as to those who should continue in service third the residue of their bounty and future real pay to those who should continue in the army general wayne being unwilling to discharge all those who had not re-enlisted for the war the subject was referred to the civil power on receiving intelligence of the mutiny congress appointed a committee to confer with the executive of pennsylvania respecting it the result of this conference was that both the committee and the governor with some members of the executive council left philadelphia for the purpose of endeavoring to accommodate this dangerous commotion at his headquarters at new windsor on the north river general washington received intelligence of this alarming mutiny accustomed as he had been to contemplate hazardous and difficult situations it was not easy under existing circumstances to resolve instantly on the course it was most prudent to pursue his first impression to repair to the camp of the mutineers soon gave place to opinions which were formed on more mature reflection it was almost certain that the business was already in the hands of the civil government with whose arrangements it might be improper for him to interfere independent of this consideration other motives of irresistible influence detained him on the north river the most important among those subjects of complaint which were alleged as the causes of the mutiny were true in fact were common to the whole army and were of a nature to disseminate too generally those seeds of disquiet which had attained their full growth and maturity in the pennsylvania line strong symptoms of discontent had already been manifested and it was therefore impossible to say with confidence how far the same temper existed among the other troops and how far the contagion of example had or would spread the danger arising from this state of things was much increased by the circumstance that the river was perfectly open and afforded sir henry clinton an easy and rapid transportation for his army to west point should the situation of its garrison invite an enterprise against that post it was an additional consideration of great weight that it might have a most pernicious influence on the discipline of the whole army should the authority of the commander-in-chief be disregarded he ought not to place himself in a situation where his orders might be disobeyed with impunity it event much to be apprehended should he repair to the camp of the mutineers unattended by a military force adequate to the occasion such a force could not be immediately commanded his effectives in the highlands amounted only to thirteen hundred and seventy-six men and that whole division of the army dispersed at various and distant stations excluding the sick and those on furlough did not exceed four thousand assuming therefore the fidelity of the troops it was impracticable to march immediately with a force sufficient to reduce the pennsylvania line without leaving the highlands undefended nor was it unworthy of consideration that in the actual situation of the mutineers the probability of their being attacked by such a force might drive them to the enemy or disperse them events either of which would deprive the army of a valuable part of its strength it was therefore thought advisable to leave the negotiation with the civil power and to prepare for those measures which ought to be adopted in the event of its failure the disposition of the troops on the north river was sounded and found to be favorable after which a detachment of eleven hundred men was ordered to be in readiness to move on a moment's warning on the first notice of the mutiny the militia of jersey took the field under general dickinson and measures were taken to call out those of new york should the occasion require it sir henry clinton attempts to negotiate with the mutineers to avail himself of an event appearing so auspicious to the royal cause sir henry clinton ordered a large body of troops to be in readiness to move on the shortest notice and dispatched three emissaries with tempting offers to the revolters and instructions to invite them while the negotiation should be depending to take a position behind the south river where they should be effectually covered by detachments from new york while these measures were taking sir henry kept his eye on west point and held himself in readiness to strike at that place 
should any movement on the part of general washington open to him a prospect of success his emissaries were immediately seized by the revolters and their proposals communicated to general wayne with assurances of the utter detestation in which every idea of going over to the common enemy was held this favorable symptom however was accompanied by suspicious circumstances they retained the british emissaries in their own possession and could not be induced to cross the delaware or to march from princeton they would not permit any of their former officers other than those already mentioned to enter their camp and general st clair the marquis de lafayette and lieutenant colonel lawrence were ordered to leave princeton such was the state of things when the committee of congress and president reed with a part of his executive council arrived in the neighborhood of the revolters the former having delegated their power to the latter a conference was held with the sergeants who now commanded after which proposals were made and distributed among the troops for consideration in these proposals the government offered first to discharge all those who had enlisted indefinitely for three years or during the war the fact to be examined into by three commissioners to be appointed by the executive and to be ascertained when the original enlistment could not be produced by the oath of the soldier secondly to give immediate certificates for the depreciation on their pay and to settle the arrearages as soon as the circumstances would admit thirdly to furnish them immediately with certain specified articles of clothing which were most wanted they compromised with the civil authority on receiving these propositions the troops agreed to march to trenton at that place the terms were accepted with the addition that three commissioners should also be deputed by the line who conjointly with those of the executive should constitute the board authorized to determine on the claims of the soldiers to be discharged and thereupon the british emissaries were surrendered who were tried condemned and executed as spies until the investigation should be made and discharges given to those who should be found entitled to them the sergeants retained their command in consequence of the irksomeness of this state of things the business was pressed with so much precipitation that before the enlistments themselves could be brought from the huts almost the whole of the artillery and of the five first regiments of infantry were liberated on the testimony of their own oaths the enlistments being then produced it was found that not many of the remaining regiments had engaged on the terms which under the compact would entitle them to leave the service and that of those actually dismissed far the greater number had been enlisted absolutely for the war the discharges given however were not cancelled and the few who were to remain in service received furloughs for forty days thus ended in a temporary dissolution of the whole line of pennsylvania a mutiny which a voluntary performance of much less than was extorted would have prevented and which in the actual condition of the army was of a nature and extent to inspire the most serious alarm the dangerous policy of yielding even to the just demands of soldiers made with arms in their hands was soon illustrated mutiny in the jersey line the success of the pennsylvania line inspired that of jersey many of whom were also foreigners with the hope of obtaining similar advantages on the night of the twentieth a part of the jersey brigade which had been stationed at pompton rose in arms and making precisely the same claims which had been yielded to the pennsylvanians marched to chatham where a part of the same brigade was cantoned in the hope of exciting them also to join in the revolt general washington who had been extremely chagrined at the issue of the mutiny in the pennsylvania line and who was now assured of the confidence to be placed in the fidelity of the eastern troops who were composed of natives determined by strong measures to stop the farther progress of a spirit which threatened the destruction of the army and ordered a detachment to march against the mutineers and to bring them to unconditional submission general howe who commanded this detachment was instructed to make no terms with the insurgents while in a state of resistance and as soon as they should surrender to seize a few of the most active leaders and to execute them on the spot these orders were promptly obeyed and the jersey mutineers returned to their duty 
in the hope of being more successful with the revolters of jersey than he had been with those of pennsylvania sir henry clinton offered them the same terms which had been proposed to the mutineers at princeton and general robertson at the head of three thousand men was detached to staten island with the avowed purpose of crossing over into jersey and covering any movement which they might make towards new york the emissary being in the american instance delivered his papers to the officer commanding at the first station to which he came other papers were dispersed among the mutineers but the mutiny was crushed too suddenly to allow time for the operation of these propositions the vigorous measures taken in this instance were happily followed by such an attention on the part of the states to the actual situation of the army as checked the progress of discontent influenced by the representations of the commander-in-chief they raised three months pay in specie which they forwarded to the soldiers who received it with joy considering it as evidence that their fellow-citizens were not entirely unmindful of their sufferings although the army was thus reduced to such extreme distress the discontents of the people were daily multiplied by the contributions which they were required to make and by the irritating manner in which those contributions were drawn from them every article for public use was obtained by impressment and the taxes were either unpaid or collected by coercive means strong remonstrances were made against this system and the dissatisfaction which pervaded the mass of the community was scarcely less dangerous than that which had been manifested by the army to the judicious patriots throughout america the necessity of giving greater powers to the federal government became every day more apparent but the efforts of enlightened individuals were too feeble to correct that fatal disposition of power which had been made by enthusiasm and uninstructed by experience to relieve the united states from their complicated embarrassments a foreign loan seemed an expedient of indispensable necessity and from france they hoped to obtain it mission of colonel lawrence to france congress selected lieutenant colonel lawrence a gentleman whose situation in the family of the commander-in-chief had enabled him to take a comprehensive view of the military capacities and weaknesses of his country for this interesting service and instructed him also to urge the advantage of maintaining a naval superiority in the american seas before his departure he passed some days at headquarters and received from general washington in the form of a letter the result of his reflections on the existing state of things in this paper he detailed the pecuniary embarrassments of the government and represented with great earnestness the inability of the nation to furnish a revenue adequate to the support of the war he dwelt on the discontents which the system of impressment had excited among the people and expressed his fears that the evils felt in the prosecution of the war might weaken the sentiments which began it from the state of things he deduced the vital importance of an immediate and ample supply of money which might be the foundation for substantial arrangements of finance for reviving public credit and giving vigor to future operations as well as of a decided effort of the allied arms on the continent to effect the great objects of the alliance in the ensuing campaign next to a supply of money he considered a naval superiority in the american seas as an object of the deepest interest to the united states it would be of decisive importance and france also might derive great advantages from transferring the maritime war to the coast of her ally the future ability of the united states to repay any loan which might now be obtained was displayed and he concluded with assurances that there was still a fund of inclination and resource in the country equal to great and continued exertions provided the means were afforded of stopping the progress of disgust by changing the present system and adopting another more consonant with the spirit of the nation and more capable of infusing activity and energy into public measures of which a powerful succor in money must be the basis the people were discontented but it was with the feeble and oppressive mode of conducting the war not with the war itself with reason did the commander-in-chief thus urge 
on the cabinet of versailles the policy of advancing a sum of money to the united states which might be adequate to the exigency deep was the gloom with which their political horizon was overcast the british in possession of south carolina and of georgia had overrun the greater part of north carolina also and it was with equal hazard and address that green maintained himself in the northern frontier of that state a second detachment from new york was making a deep impression on virginia where the resistance had been neither so prompt nor so vigorous as the strength of that state and the unanimity of its citizens had given reason to expect the perplexities and difficulties in which the affairs of america were involved were estimated by the british government even above their real value intercepted letters of this date from the minister expressed the most sanguine hopes that the great superiority of force at the disposal of sir henry clinton would compel washington with his feeble army to take refuge on the eastern side of the hudson even congress relaxed for an instant from its habitual firmness and receding from the decisive manner in which that body had insisted on the territorial and maritime rights of the nation directed the american minister at madrid to relinquish if it should be absolutely necessary the claims of the united states to navigate the mississippi below the thirty-first degree of north latitude and to a free port on the banks of that river within the spanish territory it is remarkable that only massachusetts connecticut and north carolina dissented from this resolution new york was divided propositions to spain on a subsequent day the subject was again brought forward and a proposition was made for still farther concessions to spain but this proposition was negatived by all the states happily for the united states mr jay their minister at the court of madrid required at the price of the concessions he was instructed to make that the treaty he was laboring to negotiate should be immediately concluded the establishment of a revenue subject to the exclusive control and direction of the continental government was connected inseparably with the restoration of credit the efforts therefore to negotiate a foreign loan were accompanied by resolutions requesting the respective states to place a fund under the control of congress which should be both permanent and productive recommendations relative to a duty on imported and prized goods a resolution was passed recommending to the respective states to vest a power in congress to levy for the use of the united states a duty of five per centum ad valorem on all goods imported into any of them and also on all prizes condemned in any of the american courts of admiralty this fund was to be appropriated to the payment of both the principal and interest of all debts contracted in the prosecution of the war and was to continue until those debts should be completely discharged congress at that time contained several members who perceived the advantages which would result from bestowing on the government of the nation the full power of regulating commerce and consequently of increasing the import as circumstances might render advisable but state influence predominated and they were overruled by great majorities even the inadequate plan which, which they did recommend was never adopted notwithstanding the greatness of the exigency and the pressure of the national wants never during the existence of the confederation did all the states unite in assenting to this recommendation so unwilling are men possessed of power to place it in the hands of others reform in the organization of the executive departments about the same time a reform was introduced into the administration the necessity of which had been long perceived from a misplaced prejudice against institutions sanctioned by experience all the great executive duties had been devolved either on committees of congress or on boards consisting of several members this unwieldy and expensive system had maintained itself against all the efforts of reason and public utility but the scantiness of the national means at length prevailed over prejudice and the several committees and boards yielded to a secretary for foreign affairs a superintendent of finance a secretary of war and a secretary of marine but so miserably defective was the organization of congress as an executive body that the year had far advanced before this measure 
utility of which all acknowledged could be carried into complete operation by making all the appointments confederation adopted about this time the articles of confederation were ratified much difficulty was encountered in obtaining the adoption of this instrument the numerous objections made by the states yielded successively to the opinion that a federal compact would be of vast importance in the prosecution of the war one impediment it was found peculiarly difficult to remove within the chartered limits of several states were immense tracts of vacant territory which it was supposed would constitute a large fund of future wealth and the states not possessing that advantage insisted on considering this territory as a joint acquisition at length this difficulty also was surmounted and in february seventeen eighty one to the great joy of america this interesting compact was rendered complete like many other human institutions it was productive neither in war nor in peace of all the benefits which its sanguine advocates had expected had peace been made before any agreement for a permanent union was formed it is far from being improbable that the different parts might have fallen asunder and a dismemberment have taken place if the confederation really preserved the idea of union until the good sense of the nation adopted a more efficient system this service alone entitles that instrument to the respectful recollection of the american people and its framers to their gratitude End of chapter ten part one